Welcome back to The Hopeless Romantic, episode two of our sweet reboot. Uh, I am your host, Austin Chant. I am your other host, Amanda Jean. I'm I trying to... Like <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I feel like I'm setting you up awkwardly by saying I'm your host, making you say other host, because really we are two halves of the same coin. We're, we're symbiotic here. That's true. But I was trying to... You know how we always say our names the same? Uh-huh. You know, it's like, I'm your host, Austin Chant, and I'm your host... Amanda Jean. I was trying to shake it up. Do we say it like that every time? Yeah, we do every time. I mean, I've listened to it 5,000 times, more than Fair we've enough. said it even. Um, so I'm trying to, I'm going to try and hit that note maybe a little differently. Maybe sometimes I won't even introduce myself. Okay. And no one will know. And then half, halfway through the podcast, I'll just be like, who, when will Austin announce his mysterious, charming guest? That's how you hook them. You get them in there, and then you gotta leave something dangling. It's it's intrigue. That's yeah. how... Well, sexy mystery. Get that hook there in, in the beginning. It's an inciting incident and a hook to speak in publishing terms. I was gonna <laughs> say in terms of, like, I totally did follow that for Peter Darling. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know, I guess you it did. It starts it starts with hook, Captain Captain Hook, get it? Hook, 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 hook. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks for laughing at my joke, Amanda. I got your silly joke. I am a man and I demand that you laugh at my jokes. Otherwise <laughs> I will be forced to uh face the reality of my own mediocrity. <laughs> I have to validate your existence. It's fine. I have a really I laugh easy. Yesterday I laughed so hard at the video of the deflating Pikachu that I cried. <laughs> <laughs> But also that video is really good. That video is a classic. Today we've got a bunch of things to talk about. As we discussed in the last episode, our new format, we're going to be a little more conversational and we're going to talk about a few more things um, and some current stuff. So um, we're going to start off today with some news and our current reads. And then we're going to talk about some discussions that have been happening in the Twitterverse and the Romanceverse around... Uh, new adult and erotica and aerospace representation and then we're gonna round it out with a chance for me to cry more today more as as amanda once cried in our last episode i did not spill a single tear that episode i just made okay. pained noises in fairness i hope i'm not about to cry but i sincerely might um we will be talking about the adventure zone which is the thing that i am currently obsessed with so, let's dive right on in. I was going to sing a dirge for our topic, uh, which is the end. <laughs> our topic is very sad. <laughs> the, only song, the only song that's coming to mind is that, as we go on, we like the graduation song. By Vi Are you too young for that? Yep. Oh, fuck. Ruining my good little puns. It's not, uh -huh. it's, it's bad. It's bad. Just know that, and I couldn't come up with a more uh, thematically appropriate song to send off Read With Pride, which some of you uh, may have only heard of as uh, GRNW, Gay Romance Northwest, which uh, this last year switched to Read With Pride. We are sad to say that it is sun setting and there will be no more weed. <laughs> what? There will be no more weed. Blue um. for real. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a great job of honoring a wonderful conference that gave me many wonderful memories. Let's try this. I do. Unless you would like to. I mean, do I really want to keep digging the ditch that we're in? <laughs> you want to get down in here with me and 
disturb some dirt? Oh, baby, you know I've always got my shovel. <laughs> Don't call me baby. That's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, sugar darling. <laughs> I've got my spade. I'm ready to hop on in there with you. Start digging. We're very sad. <laughs> we really are, though. We're That's genuinely so sad. We're just this is how pe- we we're cope. the kinds of people who respond to tragedy with jokes or humor. We're very sad. Back it up. Back it up. <laughs> Go back. This whole thing is making the episode now. Like, yeah, this isn't gonna make the blooper real because we fucked up for like five minutes. Yeah. That's okay. Anyway, we are genuinely very sad to announce. It's it's been officially announced, but in case people didn't see on Twitter, uh, Read with Pride is will not be continuing this year or at least in the foreseeable future. Um, there were a lot of structural changes going on um, in sort of the backing um, for the convention that just made it not necessarily sustainable for right now. Uh, so it ran for five years. And it was, it's how Amanda and I actually met in person. We'd known each other a little bit online, but it was how we became friends and eventually roommates, podcast co-hosts and all that jazz. So it's obviously very meaningful. on the astral plane. Yeah, it's obviously, it's very meaningful to us and it's meaningful to a lot of people because it was a really unique, amazing community space. It was the, in its last year, pulled off something pretty amazing, which was the only free queer romance convention in the United States, or probably in the world, ever, as far as I know. As far, yeah. And gave thousands and thousands of books to both readers and local libraries and the um, LGBT, the free LGBT library in Seattle. All this amazing stuff. It brought us personally together with a lot of amazing people, including Tracy Timmons Gray, uh, the organizer, head organizer of... Uh, Read with Pride, who deserves a shout out because she's amazing. She's so good. She's a personal friend of ours. Tracy Timmons Gray, I claim her. She is our brethren. She she went to our magic mic party. Like. Yeah. Um, and she's she's amazing. And the work she did on Read with Pride was just awe-inspiring. And she's just a kick-ass person. And she's just was, so cool. There were so many cool people involved in, in Read with Pride. I'm very sad to... That it will not be continuing, but I'm also really, really grateful to it over the years, and nothing will ever take away those amazing five years. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to year one, which is was a great conference. I went with my friend Talia, Andor, and I met a bunch of people, including you and Daria and Tracy, for the first time. But the programming in year one was really focused almost entirely on MM and uh, arguably cis MM. And I remember hearing the word bi like two or three times. And one of those times was because I asked a question with the word bi in it. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I had a really great time, but I wish that this conference were a little bit more inclusive of the whole spectrum of queer folks. And guess what? Tracy Timmons Gray got some of that feedback and made it her sort of personal mission to make... Uh, GRW slash Read with Pride, the most inclusive conference I've heard of in terms of queer romance. It was a marked attempt to bring in as many voices from as many perspectives and highlight authors who might not feel, I wasn't going to say welcome, but might not feel even remotely represented at other conferences. So yeah, might not have seen seen at all 
well, I don't know how to say this with Okay, I'm going to back that up because my resolution resolution for 2018 THR is not just opening my mouth and seeing what falls out of it. <laughs> um, Despite what this this episode so far would seem to suggest. Yeah, but some of that was charming. This was just bad. It, it um, was charming. We're very charming people. We're very great. Wonder. This is why we have a podcast. We're just yeah. not irritating at all. Programming of Read With Pride really illustrated Tracy's commitment to making sure that voices were heard that would not have been spotlighted anywhere else. Uh, you moderated a panel on trans fiction, yeah? Yeah, I did. Um, I was actually going to say we should just shout out some of the like cool highlights um, yeah. from our own experiences. One of those was definitely the trans panel. We had an awesome collection of people. I'm afraid to name it because I'm afraid I'll forget someone, but J.K. Pendragon, um, E.E. Ottoman, uh, Toby Hillmeyer, Alex Powell, and was that all of us? I think there were six of us. Fuck, I, mean, I, I feel, think so. I mean, I feel so bad if I forget somebody. If I forget somebody, it's it's not you, it's me. We had a really, really rad uh, panel. We put together a uh, big wreck list of trans romance. Um, and so gave the attendees a lot to take home. This year, uh, I did a really fun, very different panel um, with Rebecca Weatherspoon, where uh, we played the the big character type love match which was an annual tradition at read with pride where uh the audience would come up with the couple of the year out of some wacky tropes this last year uh rebecca and i made up like romance novel premises based on the couples oh and it was so fun I'm so sad I missed that. I missed this most recent Read With Pride because I was in pain hell and couldn't make the trip, but it sounded really, really fun. It was an awesome conference, and I'm I'm glad that it went out, you know, on that note, because it was really, really rad. The programming was great. The people that we met were great. The free swag was real. Hell I have yeah. so many books from, from Read With Pride on my bookshelf still to this day. Oh, and uh, uh, all of my... Almost all, almost all of my silly drunken stories in Seattle are because of Read With Pride. <laughs> there's so many, there's me wandering into traffic, begging Sasha Miller to talk to my Uber driver, uh, yelling in the bar about femdom to Heidi and not realizing that the waiter was at my elbow, um, <laughs> trying to make Alex Powell not walk across a glass table to talk to us. <laughs> um, yeah, lots a lot of... of- Good food. Yes. Fun people. Really. There were some incredible. I remember the first year I went, I didn't know that many people, and I was very, very shy at that oh, point. You're and a didn't, baby. I was such a baby, and I didn't meet that many people, but I remember the swag was the best of any con I'd ever been to. One of them was like a hot pink feather quill pen that you could write with. I had that thing for years. Yeah, I still have I still have some of the swag. I have Kim Fielding swag still. And a lot of like pens that say like hot steamy MM on them. So those are definitely still floating around. <laughs> yeah. I like to just have a few of those. I, I know we had a Riptide magnet on our fridge for like two years. Yeah, I think I still have a Riptide magnet somewhere around here. I have lots, lots of magnets. I have, I have uh, so many pens that belong to random presses that I've never worked for. <laughs> I have a really great whiteboard, which is covered in a combination of um, academic magnets from my from my alma mater that are very like education access academic diversity blah 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 and then wrapped around those are a bunch of like gay porn magnets that i got in a grnw <laughs> swag bag and that was 
it's pretty great. So we and we hosted an after party there uh, two years ago, which was really, really fun. God, was it really two years ago? Yeah, it was two years ago. I had the best hair of my life those two days of GR and W. Yeah, we looked great. We were really good that those two the best two days of our whole year <laughs> terms of looks we hosted um slightly tipsy readings in a basement and played some fun audience games and generally made fools of ourselves as we are wont to do for audiences we try to be so professional about it and then i remember at the end i was just sort of sitting on the stage shouting because the mic was useless at that point because there were like <laughs> 10 of us left i was like why are you using a mic amanda because i like to feel important <laughs> <laughs> we met and it was great i remember when we met and i was again a shy baby and the only thing i could think to do was compliment your leggings because you were wearing really nice leggings I got complimented on those leggings a lot. That is the origin of my friendship with Heidi. That is, <laughs> yeah. I, I They're my galaxy leggings and everyone loves them. I still have them. They're beautiful. They're I good. Want galaxy leggings. You had a really awesome bi panel. Oh, yeah. I should probably talk about the programming I was a part of. We, I did a panel with some awesome people, including... Fuck me. Oh, my God. It literally oh, man, is like... While, while you're looking for that, I uh, I did my first ever reading at read with pride what did you uh what did you read at read with pride i read coffee boy um right before it came out so oh good 26 15 15 2015 yeah that was the first time i ever read um a sex scene in public <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Remember that was fun uh, and embarrassing. Remember when you read the sex scene from your um um from gents? Uh, what's it called? Irresistible is what that secret unannounced project is called. But yes, I did, and it has a very very explicit sex scene in it. I I didn't get secondhand embarrassment because I know you pretty well. But if I hadn't have, I probably would have gotten secondhand embarrassment. It was severe. It was I was struggling. Explicit. You seemed so casual about it too. It was uh, like, whatever. I did not feel that inside. Well, I'm glad you managed to conceal, don't feel, that whole thing. Uh, so the the bisexual, um, Erase No More bisexual characters and LGBT romance panel that I was on was moderated by E.J. Russell, who I adore. She's great. Um, and some of the panelists, some of them, all of them, including myself, were Dev Bentham, uh, Charlie Descoteau, C.J. and Elliot, and Morticia Knight, and they are all wonderful, wonderful women and, and great authors, and I was really excited to share some mics with them and talk about why we shouldn't continue to erase by people. I also did an uh, How to Make Your Editor Love You workshop with uh, Jove Bell and Cora Walker, and that was really fun, too. I just basically... If you put, if you tell me that you'll put a mic in front of me and you'll make people listen to the silly things I have to say, I will show up. I will pay for my own gas and accommodations. <laughs> I really cherish the memories I have of Read with Pride and am astonished at what Tracy Timmons Gray managed to do for five years running in terms of the on the ground, basically book activism that she participated in but also bringing together these very uh, disparate authors, disparate publishers, different genres, and making us all have a really great time and, and engage in some thoughtful programming. And 
If, Tracy, if you are listening, which you probably are because I will make you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we adore you and we are sad to see Read With Pride go, but we know that you'll be around, so. And we know you'll do amazing things, though no pressure. Take a break. Yeah, um, yeah. Recover from sh- the chillax. amount of... You've, you've, you've done enough. You've done enough. Ass. Sit down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, I'm going to miss the creepy fourth floor of the Seattle Public Library. What the hell is that place? The Seattle Public Library, for anybody who has, has not been there, is a weird building. It's awesome, but it's kind of like sculptural and artsy on the inside. Like, and the fourth you want floor, art exhibitions in your library? Yeah, like entire floors that are art exhibitions. Because like the first two floors are re- have like really tall ceilings and they're glass all around. They're fairly normal, nice lar- library floors. Yeah, yeah. and then the, the fourth floor is like really short in terms of like the ceiling is not that high and every like is blood red floor to ceiling every like, part of it is shiny red. vinyl blood red you feel like you're in some sort of bizarre like david lynchian <laughs> creepy and disorienting and you i tried so hard to find a bathroom on that floor i was wandering around in circle because it's kind of curved the hallways like, oh curved. yeah yeah it's it's circular too you just go around in circles going what the fuck <laughs> it's real bad especially if you're hungover as i was that year got lost running from the workshop to the bathroom like <laughs> please let me out of this i went up to the stacks once in seattle public library and the floors are all slanted up there um it's <laughs> a just a Remember weird experience but fucking very cool. eyeballs Oh yeah, when they had like a creepy like eyeball TV? thing that stared at you out of the escalator. God. I don't know. I love that place. It's wonderful, but you're just like, here I am. I'm excited to meet all of these people and see them again this year. And it's like, okay, well, go up past the eyeballs. And it's really actually it's hard to get from floor to floor if you don't know what you're doing. Whoever designed that is a sick, sick person. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten lost in that place and it's not delightful. I had to ask the poor staff for help. I was like, please, direct sure, get me to the Red the Room of Pain. So do we want to end that and talk about what we're reading? Yeah, it's hard to leave off, but I think so long, farewell, read with pride, and thank you for all the fish. You were amazing, and a lot of good memories there. We'll always keep the friendships that we made along the way. Please don't try and be sentimental. You're bad I'm at it. I'm trying. <laughs> I mean it sincerely. <laughs> just just moan it in a guttural voice and it will come uh. across as sincere. <laughs> Welcome to THR 2018, where all THR of our professionalism t- goes out the fucking window. <laughs> <laughs> That's very melodic. 2018 is a very melodic year. 2018 is the year I sing every episode. Mm-hmm. What are you reading, Amanda? <laughs> I uh, am, as usual, reading 50,000 things at once. I just finished a couple of books that I really liked, and I wanted to talk about two in particular by the same author in the same little series. Uh, There were two novellas by R. Cooper. Uh, I'm trying to remember which one's the first one. This one's the first one. And the first one is uh, called A Little Familiar, and it's about... The, it, they're both very witchy stories set in a small town, and magic is real. They're both sort of Christmas and Halloween 
related. So if it's that time of year for you, or if you just want to get into a sort of wintry Christmas and Halloween spirit, I would recommend these books because they gave me the most glorious longing for holidays that had literally just passed. (laughs) I was like, oh man, I want to go back and do that again. Um, And one of the things that I liked about uh, R. Cooper's writing, aside from the fact that it was uh, very cute and like it was very sweet without being saccharine, each novella there was a main character who in some way was uh gender non-conforming and i really liked that and i liked how uh our cooper examined their relationship with the small town that they're in and their relationship with um how they're perceived by that small town um whether they may be correct about how they're perceived or not i don't know i just really thought it was a nice breath of fresh air and i'm looking forward to rereading these novellas in um the end of uh, this year for glorious times. I thought they were really cute. I really liked, um, my favorite was probably the second one, which is called Holly and Oak. And it's about a sort of yearly pagan ritual about the death of winter and the emergence of spring. These two members of the town who are from sort of prestigious, Uh, magical backgrounds enact that and they carry each other's power the sort of pagan figure for winter carries spring's power all through winter and vice versa and there's like a passing of the torch uh between the two cool yeah it was really cool and i love those characters and they had a really complex relationship and it was based on preconceived notions and other people's interference and it was kind of enemies to lovers but not really so it was a lot of things that I really enjoyed and the writing was great and I may have sent our Cooper a really excited and therefore typoed fan mail letter so hopefully one day I will um, browbeat them into publishing with me at LT3 that's how i that's how i make friends and influence people is just i send them incomprehensible fan letters on tumblr where i'm just like i promise i'm good at my job please hello it's me your future editor is me i was wondering if you would deign to send me your work (laughs) and i can edit it so good Man, this is the year of Amanda singing. (laughs) (laughs) Why? (laughs) Um, I read that and (laughs) I'm currently reading a couple of things. I'm reading a Robin McKinley book. I'm finishing a reread of Alex Wells' Hunger Makes the Wolf in preparation for the sequel. And I actually recently posted uh, my two cents in terms of I'm the LGBT director for a small press named Alternating Current. And one of the things that I like to do is recommend queer books and queer romance, because while there may be some queer stories or queer readers over at AC, I think they they uh, hired me specifically so that I could talk about what I'm most passionate about. So in our yearly what we're looking forward to in publishing, I really went hard on a lot of upcoming 2018 queer romance or queer spec uh, recommendations and stuff that I'm excited for. So I will link that in the show notes. And uh, shockingly, one of the recommendations was KJ Charles. Yeah. Yeah. If you're playing the hopeless romantic drinking game, don't worry. We still got you. (laughs) We're still here for it. KJ 2018. Yeah. I'm really excited for that. And it's KJ's uh, first like full length FF story. So yes. 
fucking delighted. And it's between uh, like a ghost and a, a live lady. So I'm just like, mm. what are you gonna do? And there's actually a, a couple of really cool like sci-fi and fantasy books coming out on my list. And one of them is, a, I think, a futuristic, queered, feminist, black Sherlock Holmes story. And I Fuck yeah. think being published by like a really good publisher. So I'm fucking psyched. That's um, awesome. I have been doing a bad job at reading, um, which is pretty usual for me. But the one book I think I finished in January was really good. Um, so I right now, not by the time this episode comes out, but at this at the time that it's being recorded, uh, I'm participating in the Kraken uh, Collective Friends sale which is an anniversary sale for a collection of uh, queer indie specfic authors who um, invited me and a couple authors who are not part of the collective, uh, but who are, you know, know the folks in it and are also indie queer specfic authors to do a big sale. Um, So Caroline's Heart was at this point 99 cents uh, (laughs) for that sale. And one of the fun things we did was we all collaborated on a personality quiz with only like canon queer specfic uh, characters in it and then um we also uh each did a post about one of the other authors which was awesome because it gave me a kick in the pants to read in memoriam by nathan bergone bergone i think which is a unconventional as a romance in that it starts off with the protagonist getting a terminal diagnosis um and having like a few weeks to live bummer yeah it's not not generally what you'd start with romance it is phenomenal it is specfic obviously because it's in the sale and it is time travel-y and it is one of the rare stories in queer romance that has an older protagonist he's 40 yes um, and this like multi-generational perspective because as he is like experiencing this very traumatic illness he's also traveling back to his younger self and sort of witnessing his younger self but as with the perspective of a 40 year old queer man and seeing like the people in his life many of whom are queer with that generational perspective it has one of the best depictions of like a fraught family dynamic that is still loving but very genuinely fraught i have ever seen the protagonist is amazing he's this he's somebody who deals with tragedy um by being very irreverent I don't know and what that's comedic. like. Yeah, <laughs> I related a little. And he's he's just a fantastic character. It deals not only with that, but like th- what the impact of him joking through his own death has on the people around him. It's just very genuine, very funny, and also very upsetting. I was going to say, I was like, I, that sounds heartbreaking. I can't it read is, it. It is. It is. Yeah, it's, it was a hard read. And I would definitely, you know, exercise caution in choosing a reading. I, I, I read it in one sitting because I had to get through it. And also I just like cried for an hour <laughs> at 10 a.m. in the morning because that's when I like to do my crying. Get it out of the way. Yes, that was a fantastic book. And I'm also partway through Down by Contact by Santino Hassel, which is his new book, which I'm really enjoying so far. And I think that is my entire reading list right now. I am happy we're spending time talking about our current reads and our and the fact that we're stepping a little bit away from just queer romance so we can talk about other genres and stuff because I'm making a huge attempt to read more in 2018 and to read outside of 
uh, the genres that I already read in. So we'll see how that pans out, but I am excited. As we talk about the changes in 2018, one of our things was like, oh man, I just want to respond to some of the stuff I see on Twitter, but it's always too late by the time. Hey, guess what? It's not too late. We're still on top of the discourse. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's going to be like maybe a little late by the time this comes out, but but whatever. It's not really a like, oh, we're wading into the discourse. It's more like, oh, some of the stuff comes up that might be interesting to talk about. Not three months later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> While we try and, and ham fist it into an existing yeah. uh, topic that has nothing to do with NA or something. Yeah, so that's why I teased at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> something that's been um, flying around that I we both, I think, had various feelings on was discussions about Aeroace rep in specifically a new adult, but also kind of in general. Um, and where that needs to expand and also sex in books, <laughs> specifically in NNA. new adult. I'm going to get my, my nitpicky pedantic thing out of the way just so that everybody knows how I feel about that. And because I feel like it's not necessarily an intrinsic part of the conversation, but just something that is apparently one of those hills that I'll die on. Erotica it does not mean books with sex in it. That is not what that word means. Erotica is a genre. It's a genre because you can have books with a lot of sex in it and a lot of erotic content that still doesn't make them erotica. Erotica is a very specific genre, very specific genre boundaries. And I know that having edited erotica uh, and they literally have extremely um, rigid... (laughs) um, They have... (laughs) They have ex- topical. <laughs> I was going to say restrictive after that. And I was uh-huh. like, God damn it. They have, uh, they have extremely rigid criteria for what will make an erotic line versus what hard will- and fast rules. <laughs> when, when you're in the realm of erotica, everything's got a heat rating and it's, it's, it's like jalapeno, like, nope, it's ghost pepper. It's, it's, I was going to say jalapenos high. in the like Scoville rating, <laughs> yeah, not that hot. No. That's what I was saying. I was like, nope, no jalapenos here. Um, so I think that uh, I understand the the sort of knee-jerk linguistic tendency to refer to something as erotica. And like, I constantly refer to stuff as porn that is not actually pornographic by any stretch of the imagination. It's just sort of shorthand. And I think it's funny sometimes. And people usually know what I mean. But erotica is different from fiction with erotic content in it. It's different from smut it's it's its own um it's its own genre and i will probably stick a link into some some definition of erotica and maybe the history of erotica or i'll give some examples of presses that primarily publish erotica so yeah because i think it's one of those things where i don't think at all that it like unvalidates the points that people are making but i keep seeing stuff like new adult is all erotic and i'm like i've never read new adult that was erotica i'm sure it's out there yeah it must exist but that's way rarer than you think it is like romance is not mostly erotica like romance is almost by definition not erotica because the plots in romance are not generally about that no. I, i've even and the frequency read... of sex yeah like extremely erotic romance where there's a sex scene like every other chapter if not every chapter that were still not erotica yeah because, because it's they still a different conformed genre to to um genre structure and length requirements and you know it's still it uh could still be marketed as romance rather than erotica 
anyway, that's my that's my pedantic thing out of the way. It's it's one of those genre mix ups that just bothers me because it gets to that. It, it feels to me as somebody who like appreciates erotica, kind of like when people say, "Oh, romance is porn for women." Like it's that like that's inherently. If not a bad thing, then at least a very dismissive and reductive and reductive and kind of just like inaccurate thing. It's like, that's just not what that is. And that other thing is a valid genre of its own that we're not talking about right now. Yeah. And it also if you're if you're trying to make a point about the occurrence, because this is specifically about uh, people's objection to the uh, frequency of and the um, explicitness of uh, sex content er erotic content in new adult books we want to make sure that you are you know complaining about the correct thing and doing it in a way that is understandable to people because if you have a point to make that's valid you know if you if you want to talk uh about being uh either a person who doesn't enjoy reading that much sex in books or if you're an ace person then yeah you're going to want to talk about the frequency of uh sex and erotic content in books uh in new adult books and there's nothing wrong with erotica. There's nothing wrong with having um, sex and fiction. And I think we need more books of every genre that have um, content that ace people can relate to and arrow people can relate to. There isn't a predetermined amount of pie slices, right? Like, mm -hmm. we've got the one slice that's ace out of the whole pie god that sounds so <laughs> shitty and, and just condescending and awful i'm a fucking ace person <laughs> like, i sound so bad <laughs> shit i'm the worst stop complaining about that smut pie <laughs> smut pie amanda jean 2018 i'm sorry off the I'm rails bad. I'm right off the rails sorry that 2018 is the year where thr becomes unlistenable and offensive yeah, and I think it's, I feel like this is one of the problems that are, I think we've, we've talked about this problem before in terms of like spec fic, where one of the problems that we face in publishing right now is that queer romance is one of the only genres that is publishing uh, at all a lot of diversity in the queer spectrum, which means that it starts to strain the limits of queer romance, which is not at all to say that you can't have romance without sex in it because you completely can that but it's romance has like a lot of specific genre constraints and things that tend to be present in romance and then when you start to use queer romance as a catch-all space for all the queer fiction that should be being published everywhere but isn't i think you run into some awkward places where like these are the genre more or less guidelines that are very like genre particular because readers of romance are maybe looking for specific things but so are all the other folks on the queer spectrum who want all kinds of books. It's a challenging space that I think is largely to blame on publishing in general, not being remotely accepting of a lot of queer stories. I actually saw some some articles and discourse going around about how NA is already dead as a genre, which I think is funny because inherently it can't be. It's existed for a really long time and it will continue to exist whether or not you ascribe to it. Like it's a, it's about a very particular age range and life experience range of people who are not uh, young enough to be a young adult and are not, I don't know, they're, they're past that transformative stage and are in just like regular fiction. So we're talking people in college who are going through these hugely transformative experiences in their lives. And a lot of that you and I talked about before uh, when we were kibitzing about 
this topic, a lot of that is about exploring your identity, exploring your sexuality, exploring relationships. And so it's not a surprise to me that a lot of these books about transformative times in people's lives are relationship and sex heavy. There's nothing wrong with that inherently at all. Um, there's also nothing wrong with Arrow and Ace people wanting books about Arrow and Ace people dealing with transform transformation in their lives and dealing with these yeah. big new adult issues. I want that too. And there's room for it in the space. Um, the issue we're coming back to is that oftentimes what's getting published, uh, that is maybe Arrow Ace queer rep, is by queer romance presses and indie presses. It's not as much being published by big fives or even um, sort of straight, quote unquote, small presses. So yeah, it's indicative of a bigger publishing problem that so many stories are so heavily focused on romantic relationships and so many stories are so heavily focused on sexual relationships. Part of the reason that this sticks for me a little bit is that I completely get why sex is a sticking point for a lot of people, and that's completely fair. But I also, I feel the need to raise the point that, like, depictions of sex are actually not, like, that common. Explicit, sexy, fun sex are not in publishing everywhere. Romance is, like, the one genre that has normalized that completely. And I think there there's a lot of ways that the, in that which that is important. I think it's important in these conversations to realize how much sex and sexuality shaming there is in the powers that be in publishing spaces. It really bothers me how often I see books dragged for having sex in them. And that that speaks to a lot of really unfortunate and very ingrained attitudes towards sex as being shameful and something that should be hidden and something that we shouldn't talk about or enjoy. And those attitudes have not gone anywhere. That's still so deeply ingrained, and it's deeply ingrained in our stories. And romance is just about the only place where you can count on being able to find, like, depictions of sex that are positive. <laughs> like, like just positive and not like, I don't know, I'm sure you, you, of course you find depictions of sex outside of that, but like, what kind of sex scenes do you get in, like, Game of Thrones? Or, like, most <laughs> literary fiction written by, like straight cisette dudes like straight cisette you had to you had to be redundant just to push <laughs> just that to home nail that in yeah and so i do always want recognition for the ways in which that space is important too especially for a lot of queer folks it is important that queer romance exists as a space that normalizes chill good sex for queer folks because that's also important. It's also important that we have spaces that normalize not that and that normalize queer platonic relationships and deep friendships and relationships that do not involve or revolve around sex and so on and so forth. And also still still maintaining like there are plenty, plenty of uh, allosexual people and all the romantic people who just prefer not to read explicit sex scenes. So they read fade to black and they specifically search out books that are fade to black. And while that may not be the same thing as what ace readers are looking for, you know, that is an existing genre convention and is something that you can definitely find aiming dissatisfaction about the prevalence of explicit sexual content or prioritization of sexual and romantic relationships 
in queer circles, I understand it and I want us to broaden our scope, but I also know that this is almost the only place that you can find those things and have them be positive and be guaranteed to have some kind of a happy ending. Because if you're looking at general fiction that has uh, queer relationships in it or queer sex in it, um, you are not guaranteed that it won't be highly miserable at the end, that it won't mm. be unhealthy. And, you know, there's a place in every uh, every facet of fiction for those stories. But specifically, a lot of what we're talking about uh, is only published in queer romance or adjacent circles. All of this stuff that we want is like still very rare in publishing and we've kind of carved out this one niche and and I want us to do better and to look out for each other better and to keep carving out that space. I also think it's worth looking at our space and being like, wow, all of this is something that is not happening elsewhere. Yeah, we built it ourselves. And all of this, yeah, and all of this is really important to the people in space. It's very, very important to me to have stories that have healthy and positive sex in them for queer folks. And I like stories with sex in them. I'll just come right out and say it. Nobody yeah, but you don't want anyone to describe a fucking dick. All right, leave me alone. <laughs> nope. It's going to haunt you <laughs> to the ends of the earth. If you don't know what we're talking about, go listen to our Anatomy of a Sex Scene episode because the description is real. Last from the past. Anyway, <laughs> um, everybody's shocked to hear me say this, but that's something that's very important to me and that I only feel like I can get in this genre and I only feel like I can write in this genre. I feel like people sometimes don't realize like you can't just go elsewhere in in publishing and just like write explicit sex scenes. You like you just you can't in a lot of in a lot of places and a lot of times you'll get shit for it. You will even get shit for it within romance. We're still working on on allowing queer romance to not be such an umbrella because we really do need more division in terms of like what's experimental, what's romance. Uh, how are we still managing to stick uh, a romantic stories under the umbrella of romance? Like, I think that that's key that we're doing that. Like a lot of publishers who publish queer romance also publish stories uh, about a romantic characters and their lives and relationships but also it seems odd <laughs> yeah it, i think well that's so indicative of the problem is that like if all we have is queer romance presses they have to publish everything and then you run into places where like i mean i want more stories that are around a, a romantic characters that don't follow the like structure of a romance i'm fine with ones that do i mean i think there are some good examples of that like um daria's uh, the Trouble, Daria DeFore's The Trouble. I also think that there's, like, I want a lot of queer stories that don't necessarily have to fit within queer romance genre guidelines. That is a challenge with our current setup, because there's just not a lot of space. Even when certain queer presses, queer romance presses have individual lines or they're very carefully with their, they're very careful with their marketing and they're like, yeah, we publish like literary fiction and dark fiction. They're still primarily known for being queer romance uh, presses. And like, I primarily work for Less Than Three, which publishes the gamut, but we're still known for being a queer romance press and we're known for like uh, fairy tale retellings and and queering those sorts of stories. And a lot of those stories have a minimal amount of sex in them. We're not 
you know, the first press you think of when you think of uh, explicit content. And that's such an interesting thing because we definitely do have that. But we also have a lot of fade to black and we also have a lot of like G rated stuff. And um, we are desperate to publish stories with aromantic characters and ace characters and poly characters. I don't think I've, I, in the time that I've worked at LT3, um, I don't think I've seen more than like one manuscript submitted. Okay, that might not be wrong. that might not be true. I haven't seen more than a handful of stories submitted to LG3 with intersex characters in them at all. I can't imagine what that's like at places that are not specialized in the acronym. I can't even imagine how many stories don't get published uh, about intersex people and the ones that do are uh what's that one really egregious one um by the doctor yeah yeah yeah. i think it's called none of the above yeah it's it's a y book oh my god that book is bad yeah it's bad don't don't (laughs) hear it so it's very bad so yeah i i'm i love the fact that queer romance is doing the hard work and the constantly evolving work to publish as much as it can within its constraints but we all kind of look at each other and know that it has constraints and that sometimes we have to publish a romantic stories in a sort of romance format, or we have to acknowledge the fact that this book would probably be marketed as something else at a different press, but mainstream publishing is just not taking this. And a lot of times queer romance, I think what is also true is like queer romance is not necessarily super well situated to publish stories that explicitly fall outside the romance wheelhouse. It's not set up to market those stories necessarily. It's like you said, it's not necessarily set up with that reputation so it's not necessarily super well positioned to help those authors along that is a challenge that i think we need to all kind of tackle together i feel like a lot of that is we need to expand queer publishing not queer romance publishing but like we can't just have queer romance be the genre that publishes all the other genres it didn't used to be because the the way that queer romance looks now really uh, came into fruition with the explosion of ebooks in the mid knots. Before then, a lot of the books that were published in the realm of queer fiction would not have been marketed as romance, and maybe now are. And um, I'm thinking of stuff like Gaywick, even. Uh, Shout out to Gaywick. So the places you had to look to publish your queer fiction were uh, hoping that an imprint of a big five would take it, just praying, um, sneaking queer characters into your sci-fi fantasy and praying, um, being published by university presses. Um, I know a lot of some of my favorite older queer books were published by like little universities and um, some small presses or self-publishing even. It was very hodgepodge. There certainly wasn't a giant umbrella situation where everybody knew where to submit their queer manuscripts with some guarantee of like it being looked at and marketed to queer readers. It's just sort of throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what sticks. And to a degree, we're still doing that, but at least we have this foundation of queer romance where we have these established publishers who've been around for a while and um, are happy to publish outside the uh, lines of queer romance if it means that we'll get books out in the world that need to be there. 
it's spread even to sort of mainstream romance publishing. Like we've got Avon imprints publishing Regency MM and same with um, who published KJ's wasn't Avon. It was Penguin. No, I think it's Penguin. Yeah. Yeah. Love swept. Love swept. So we have, and, and Karina and Har- like we have these more mainstream romance publishers who are starting to take on and commodify queer romance And I'm all for that, but we also are still struggling to figure out what to do with these stories that don't fit the mold of queer romance. And that is a continuing, a continued uh, issue that we've talked about before and we'll no doubt talk about in the future. I mean, and the takeaway is just like, we need more. We need more for everyone. We need to expand this genre. We need big, uh, we need bigger presses and medium sized presses to take more risks. And like, you you only have to take a look at Twitter or like, listen to us, the allocation, to know that like, how many people want stories with Arrow and Ace characters. It's a lot. And it would be a lot more, I think, if they, if those stories were being positioned in a way where they were getting to readers and being push towards readers and not being crammed into like molds that don't suit them. And also how, ma- how much money have medium and big size publishers thrown at these just dime a dozen like fucking PhD student has an affair, navel gazing second person pastiche cishet men. Like how many of these goddamn books get published how many, and also how many like cookie cutter, just straight mysteries get published? If there's room for 3,000 of the same whodunits, there's room for queer people to be in those too. Really not our responsibility to do this all ourselves. It's the responsibility of the broader world, and they are not moving as fast as they should. We'll do our best in the meantime. We'll yell into microphones. That covers that. Do you want to? That covers that. Do you want to talk about the thing that's making you cry a whole lot? (laughs) Yeah, I do. The ultimate irony today was that I was listening to the "Call Me by Your Name" soundtrack and crying because I was thinking about the Adventure Zone. That's fucked up. (laughs) How'd you miss that one by a mile? I uh, I was listening because i love the soundtrack yeah it's a beautiful uh, soundtrack. Li- listening to uh sufyan stevens go like how much sorrow can i take while i was listening to the sad backstory episode of uh the adventure zone and like tearing up going i don't know how much i could take so for reference and My context heart. i'll explain what it is <laughs> <laughs> well i was gonna i was gonna actually go back because i'm sure if you've heard us talk about like i think we've made random mcelroy references before but we've never actually sat down and explained what and who that may be so for very brief teal deer summary um the mcelroy brothers um mcelroy family mcelroy dudes actually no i take that back the mcelroy family because their wives have some awesome properties as well uh, but the McElroys basically started with the comedy advice show, My Brother, My Brother and Me, and then expanded to the D&D podcast, The Adventure Zone, which is what Austin's talking about. I'm further, I'm way behind where Austin is in The Adventure Zone. I have listened to the new experimental arcs, which I highly recommend to people. There's, they're like four episodes a piece and they're really good. And they give you an idea of what the show's generally like and will be like in its second season um but honestly most of what we were exposed to about the McElroys was just their their silly silly goofs and their 
just their ridiculous laughter and the the funny things that they say. And it's something else to turn that on its head and, and listen to Adventure Zone, which is also occasionally extremely silly and funny and irreverent, but then also fucking gutting. What is wrong with Griffin? <laughs> yeah. So hang on. Let me explain more in depth what the Adventure Zone is all about. So the Adventure Zone is an actual play D&D podcast, which means they're you know, it's their sessions of playing the game together. Um, one of the McElroy brothers, Griffin, is the dungeon master. And then the other two players are his brothers and their father, um, which makes for a really amusing dynamic. Um, he is also great. Their, <laughs> I love their dad. He's great. Um, and it it centers around these three unlikely heroes in sort of an epic fantasy, but also sci-fi. It's very genre, like nerdy genre mashup speculative fiction in general kind of and each arc tends to kind of take a genre there's one that's very like mad max themed there's one that is western there's one that i've listened to that's extremely sci-fi then the genre as a whole is like clearly fantasy because they're wizards and clerics and casting spells and stuff it is i i was thinking about it today and i realized that in many ways it is what i've wanted out of media for a really long time in terms of being big epic speculative fiction that is also like pretty darn inclusive very queer very funny but also as you say fucking gutting i have been crying all day (laughs) about this show and i'm not fucking exaggerating i tweeted earlier today that like when noon struck it was a relief because it put like a hard limit on how many times i had cried while listening to the podcast (laughs) that morning alone at work at my desk trying to hold back tears i actually had to turn it off shortly before noon and listen to happy music because i was about to go from just like tears in my eyes to actually weeping that felt like a little a little much, much for your like second a little week much for work. my day job. Uh, Let them get to know you a little bit more before you're openly sobbing. At some point, sobbing. they're gonna look over and be like, "Are you okay?" I'm I'm pretty good at hiding it so far, but and it's just like it's so heartfelt, and the arcs are just very tropey. I think that's the thing that's getting me is it's so it's so all of the tropes that you love, um, but with this this mashup of really fun characters one of the main three of whom is queer many of the side characters are queer um there are tons of amazing women in it even though all of the main characters are, are all men yeah and all of the the players are men too all the all the players are dudes but they fill the world with a ton of amazing characters i'm just like i'm swept away by it and this feeling of like all I wanted was like the gay wizard all along. You know, <laughs> we've like, talked about that is, before. That is that is our, yeah. our deep craving. This is this is it for me. It's like this is the genre that I need so desperately. I'm just so happy and I cry so much. Do you wanna just straight off the cuff give me your best taco impression? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to talk about Taco, actually. Talk about Taco. Because Taco Taco is one of the main three characters, Canon Gay. But didn't start out as canon gay necessarily. And also, um, I would add, just started out as a fucking joke. <laughs> started out, started out as a joke because they all kind of started out as jokes and then got like uncomfortably real. He started out as just like a silly voice and could definitely be read as like a gay stereotype. But then 
a lot of queer viewers were like, we love this. Please continue. Please also make it canon that he is queer. And he's just like a wonderful, awful, kind of mean, self-absorbed, but ultimately very heroic gay wizard who wears skirts sometimes and is so cute. I It's just, I was realizing that the thing that I love about it is that that character in so much of like classic fantasy would be a joke of a much unkinder variety Mm -hmm. much less loving that would yeah like because he is he is like very much a stereotype and very much that character has been written before in horrible ways but he's written so lovingly and with so much narrative weight that it feels healing like to have that character it's just like oh yes (laughs) it also is is funny to me because having listened to so much of um, Justin McElroy is voicing Taco. Uh, having listened to so much Justin, who I relate to the most out of all the McElroy brothers, and I feel like everybody who listens to any amount of McElroy sort of identifies with one bro uh, or member of the family. Like maybe it's Teresa, who knows, um, more than the others. And for me, it was Justin. So for Justin to have gone to the places he has gone to with Taco, and I'm not even as far into it as Austin is. I am way behind um, you got some shit going I know, up. I know, I'm, I know I'm in for it. I'm going to be wrung out like a little fucking rag. But uh, that's also, I mean, I'm going to skip a tiny, tiny bit ahead and talk about uh, one of the things I admire about their experimental arcs, the, the sort of quick ones that they're doing in between seasons one and two, is that you can tell how much they've changed and grown as people from the early days of not just the Adventure Zone, but also my brother and my brother. Oh, my God. My brother and my brother and my brother and also my brother. Uh, <laughs> my brother, my brother and me, or my bim bam. First draft of that yeah. <laughs> uh, show title. <laughs> All these brothers. The brothers. McElroy. You can see how much they've changed and you notice it in small ways like... In the experimental arcs, like Travis has played uh, two women in a row who are very different and very wonderful. And the most recent one is queer. Um, Lady Flame, she's perfect. And uh, Justin played an Inuit woman who, when she received superpowers, basically turned into an Inuit goddess of thunder and actually consulted people who deal with like Inuit representation in the media to make sure that he didn't fuck up too bad as a white, like cishet bro. So <laughs> you can see how much they're actively putting thought into making sure. Cause they're like, look, there's we're four fucking like straight white dudes. We could, this could go bad real fast. We're going to try it, try to make sure that it doesn't. And that we're telling entertaining stories with, a realistically diverse amount of, of characters. So that's one of the things that I admire the most is how much they may have started something on a lark, but then quickly realized that it actually mattered to a lot of people and made those changes and took them in stride, which is also, I think, what kind of happened with Taco. Started as kind of like, lol, I'm making this funny little like wizard character and he's ridiculous and adorable and I love everything about Taco. Um, and then... You know, at a certain point halfway through, you're just like, my heart, my taco heart. It gets so intense. And it also is just, it's some of my favorite storytelling, I think, ever in terms of layering game mechanics on top of story, on top of game mechanics, on top of story. It's a really fascinating example of like using those two properties together. It's so cool. I'm so into it. I cry every day. Um, (laughs) And it also just, it's fantasy that not only has that queer rep that I want and the 
the diversity of of women and other characters like it's not only that but it's like the it's fantasy with a really hopeful and optimistic and loving heart yeah it's not grimdark um, at all it's not at all grimdark and it has this okay i'm gonna uh, i think i can talk about this in a non-spoilery way try it try it i'm gonna do my best because this is like it's a concept rather than really a thing that is even talked about it and it's kind of like a microcosm rather than a specific thing that happens and is plot relevant I'm going to try to talk around this. It, it's probably like a tiny bit spoilery, so... I'll put up a, a little... I'll put up a little yeah. warning. So tune out now if you're concerned about that. At one point in one of the arcs, they meet Fate, essentially, um, as a character. And Fate tells them that... Basically, the kind of like a basic premise is that they are traveling around trying to acquire and get rid of artifacts that have like incredible destructive potential in the wrong hands and they meet fate and fate essentially tells them that what they are doing is the natural good thing that should be done and and that people who would take the potential of for of this vast destructive power and use it to their own ends to hurt people are like rewriting what should happen in the universe in a very negative way. And that hit me really hard because I feel like so often that fate character would be there to be like, everything happens for a reason. And the twist would be like, you're actually causing destruction with your, yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, sometimes just a, a mass murderer happens and lots and lots of people die. And to have, but to have like fate show up and say, when people take power and use it to hurt others they are unwriting the natural law of the universe and they should be stopped on the on the grounds that they're like rewriting fate in a horrible way that was just like so profound and moving to me especially in a genre that slides so easily into grim dark and it was just like i feel like it healed my soul from game of thrones <laughs> like it specifically targeted game of thrones and was like nah shut up Uh -uh. (laughs) just sit down we have a better idea about how the universe should work earlier i was listening to a bim bam clip where justin asked if if um eh, i can't even quote this it's so fucked up i take it back (laughs) i take it back (laughs) i'll i'll leave this for the bloopers but he literally was like hey if you encountered an owl that was missing an eye would you fuck the eye socket (laughs) Also, you get $8, and the owl can talk and wants it. And everyone was just like, what the fuck are you talking about? These are the people. this is why Justin is the one you relate to the most. (laughs) I mean, yes, that was, I honestly have never felt more of a kinship to Justin. Aside from, like, the wheezing and trying desperately to communicate through the wheezing, those two things. It's just like, why are you? Yeah, it you. I am currently obsessed with the Adventure Zone. I have listened to like two two thirds of the show, I think, at this point, and I'm showing no signs of stopping. I'm really excited or for stopping you to crying. experimental. I'm excited I'm excited for me to catch up roughly with where you are because I'm so far. I'm behind. excited for you to listen to all the shit I've listened to. This is all happening because I now have a day job where I can listen to podcasts pretty much all day. And I, a person who does not listen to podcasts normally because I can't pay attention to them, am just like blasting through I've listened to the episodes are an hour long, 50 hours of, of this show since I started work. Yeah. 
Some of, yeah, some of them are like an hour, 20 minutes. Also, shout out to all the people who told you slash us to listen to the Adventure Zone far before we ever yeah. did. I, I was told to for ages, and then I started listening, and I was like, yo, you need to listen to this. And you were like, busy podcast, which is understandable. And now I'm just like, this is what we reap. I'm so inspired now. I'm so inspired to just write the fantasy that I want to write because this is it. Here it is. Also to do the thing that we aren't talking about on the podcast yet. The thing. Which one? The thing, Austin, the thing. Which one? Think about it. Oh, that one. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, that thing. Yep, that we aren't talking about yet. I'm pretty excited about that. I'm really excited about that, too. I could tell we recently went to a friend's birthday. Uh, or Actually, I can talk about it. It's Brad. It was Brad's birthday, and all of his birthdays have a theme, Brad. And so Bradening, the Bradening <laughs> 2018, you designed a beautiful, like, short D&D game based around Brad and his favorite thing ever, which is Super Smash Bros. And I could tell while you were DMing that you were fully channeling Griffin McElroy, and it made me very happy. I- I have never been so inspired by a yeah, like a dungeon master because his his style is fantastic. It's hashtag like, relatable too. Like he's just he's such a great combination of like he's so smart and quick and clever and you can tell he spends how many how many hours of this man's life have spent just thinking about the world that he's designing and the stakes. It sounds and also effortless. like he writes the music. I know. And it's he good writes music. music for it. And the music is good. And I lost my shit over the music in the latest arc that I listened to. They all, he also sometimes like sells like he'll be like, hey, the newest like Taz uh, Adventure Zone like soundtracks up and we're donating all the, pro- the proceeds from like this week's sale to like a local LGBT th- charity in our hometown. And I'm just like, please stop. I need you to go it's back to f- making silly awful jokes and fucking up video game characters and monster factory it's just like such a force for good um in my work life especially because there's nothing like getting you through a work day than focusing so hard on not visibly crying in front of your coworkers that the the work just flies by <laughs> see for me it would slow down but yeah, I uh, <laughs> I'm struggling to cry, not to cry. To cr- well, yes, that's actual, actually factual. I'm struggling yeah, to cry every moment of my life. Anyway, this is the role reversal that was I feel like promised by <laughs> by last week's episode in which I had a heart of stone. You were broken. It's fine. We actually, I've had so many call me by your name conversations that just it won't stop. It's a it's a snowballing train. <laughs> I actually yesterday um, Macy was like someone we someone we know like through someone else had a bad take on call me by your name. And initially I was like, ha 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 ha, they're ridiculous. And then it turned into a 10 minute. Well, actually, and I like, <laughs> slammed my hands in on the desk. I was like, first of all, <laughs> the history of Greek pederast relationships influencing. I was like, you know what? I need to not be here right now. But then last night, um, I discovered that Timmy and Army had like a dance party in Crema in Italy where they filmed at like midnight with a bunch of Call Me By Your Name fans. And I've been choking all day because... You're good friends, Timmy and Army. My good friends, yes. (laughs) My good friends, (laughs) whom I also am friends with on the astral plane, Um, Uh much like our soul bond. Uh, Yeah, I've been fucked up for so long that I'm waiting for my emotions to run out and they haven't yet. So I'm really primed. I started, I listened to two episodes of Taz today. So I'm going to listen to more tonight before I go to bed. Yes, yes, yes. 
I just, I, everybody listen to it and talk to me about it. The, I'm on the train arc where they're on the train and they just met I Angus. Love the train arc. Angus is perfect. I love Angus. But the fucking, the fucking train dude, like, I think his name's like R- Jenkins. Jenkins. Making fun <laughs> of Jenkins made me laugh for 10 hours, especially when Griffin could not get the voice. And he's like, no, this isn't right. And then Justin's like wheezing hysterically in the background because he's like, is this literally all in character? <laughs> like he's having a meltdown yes. because he's like, no, was it down here? Was it up here? Like, it was so good. I love it when they're mean to people. I know. Like, just intensely, I, I adore this it. Taco's like, oh, you didn't, oh, I can't do a taco. Kind voice. of a shitty wizard. Yeah, he's just like, oh, you didn't want to burn one of those spell slots. And I'm like, you asshole, I love you. I love that arc. Uh, that was the first one where Griffin, like, layered an incredible game mechanic over it, which I don't think you've gotten to yet, but he does a really cool mechanic on that. The next arc is the fucking Mad Max arc. Oh, yay, I'm excited for that. Which has incredible mechanics in it. Crystal I know that Angus Kingdom? comes back. Yeah, Crystal Kingdom's out Yes, Ma- Angus is in it a lot, and he's wonderful. Angus is perfect. And <laughs> they're so I'm mean to him. <laughs> they're so mean. I'm a g- he's just such a sweet boy who's doing his best. He's a boy detective, and I love him. My favorite is how, I was, again, just lots of irrelevant chatter for this, for you to cut out later, but like... Magnus, who canonically hates bullies and like just wants to stand up for people, at one point yelling at at somebody who's next to Angus, just like kick him, just kick him. <laughs> He's so mean. Make him cry. Pull his hair. He's so mean. I love Magnus. I love all of them, and I love every one of Griffin's NPCs, frankly, and his millions of voices. The one that they're doing now is a monster hunting, like supernatural esque thing set in like rural west virginia in a small town and his voice acting in this is so good and he has so many just delightfully different characters and i love them all and griffin's so talented and i did not know this would happen to me when i started watching monster factory like two and a half years ago he's so genuinely talented the music also like I know it's already good where you are, but it legitimately every arc just like escalates. Like you can tell he puts so much fucking time into like developing the soundscape for that arc. The one I just listened to is like <laughs> very old school, like pseudo retro techno. Yes. I'm laughing because until I started listening to the Adventure Zone, my exposure to Griffin's musical prowess was put your dick in this cage, which is a parody of his Stack Soap song. Stack Soap. Yeah. yeah so my ex- my exposure to Griffin's musical prowess was put your dick in this cage <laughs> previously. Hey, I mean, that's pretty majestic. <laughs> the one I just listened to. Is like old school kind of techno-y retro D&D music very much, but mixed with like Western. And it's so good. I just got a, um, my my brother, my brother and me poster just arrived yesterday and I put it up and I'm Aww. just looking at it. And it's this like very stylized art piece. It's so cute. And I just love them so much and they make me so happy. They were the best fucking part of 2017 in terms of my non-immediate like friends and whatever. Like, yeah, I honestly have listened to so much McElroy related content that they are fully fledged entities in my brain at all times. And it's a daily struggle not to make obnoxious amount of references and just it's bad. It's bad. I have become 
Um, I realize this is slightly too old for you, but I have become the teenage boy in high school who's constantly quoting Kevin Smith movies, only it's 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 McElroy content. Yeah. I don't know who that is, but I relate. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where we should end the episode because nothing's going to get better than you not knowing who Kevin Smith is. Yeah. Fuck. What can I say? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Well, as usual, if you'd like to continue the conversation, you can find us on Twitter. I am at Austin Chanted. I'm at, I should say this like a human. I am at Amanda H. Jean. And that's our show. See you next time. This episode of The Hopeless Romantic was produced by Daria DeFore and Amanda Jean, with art by Kesey Young and music by Carly Ann Warden. If you want to continue the conversation, follow us on Twitter at The HR Podcast. Follow us on Facebook. Check out our Patreon. And please rate and review on iTunes if you enjoyed.